So today I'm going to tell you um, a little bit about something that's been on my heart the last few days. We're, we're working through this series on how did Jesus, how did Jesus engage culture? How did Jesus engage our world? How did Jesus work? And I really felt like all week long that I had, that the Lord was stirring in me something to say. And I even um, spent some extended times praying about it, especially yesterday and this morning. And there's probably going to come a few points in this sermon today as we look at this together. If you're a guest and this is your first time here, I want you to know I've been hyper for 47 years. All right? No kidding. I really have. Um, I want you... I want you to know that there's probably going to be a few places in this thing this morning that that I'm going to get pretty passionate, and I don't want you to I don't want you to uh, misinterpret my passion for anger because it's not. You know, in September of 1990, September 2nd, actually of 1990. It was the day I got saved. I came to Jesus. And I've never gotten over it. The way I looked at the world changed. The way I looked at my daddy changed. The way I looked at my mama changed. The way I looked at my friends changed. The way I looked at my life, my career, my money. The way I looked at everything changed. It really did. And it was in that season where God called me out to preach and engage a world. And, and I'm going to do that, and we're going to do it today, and we're going to do it together as we look at the Word of God. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, excuse me, 9. Matthew 9. Now, there's a lot going on right here. There's, there's, there's a lot going on with what, with what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to do. He's just been healing some people. This series is called How Did Jesus? And we call it Jesus on the Street. Many of you are giving us a lot of feedback about how much you've, you've enjoyed looking at how Jesus met and ministered. Like, I mean, as in real, like with dirt on his hands and sweat in his hair. So I'm gonna just pick it up uh, right here in, in verse um, 33, Matthew 9. And, and I'm gonna have to kind of skip over a few verses because this is one big long thing and it would take too long to unpack it. I could, no kidding, I was thinking about this earlier in the week. This is probably like two months worth of stuff going on right here in Matthew 9 and 10. So let's just pick up one, let's, let's lift out one specific situation. So Jesus has been healing people and we'll, you know what, I'll back it up to 32 Matthew 9, 32, it says, As they were going out, a mute, a demon-possessed man was brought to Jesus. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed. And they were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees, if you don't know who those people were, they were like the religious coaches, the religious theologians, the, the, the keepers of the theology, and Jesus fought with them constantly. That's, they were not friends. In verse 34, the Pharisees were saying, well, he cast out demons by the ruler of demons, meaning the reason he cast out demons is because he's got one himself. 
Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And this is verse 36. This is what has camped out in my soul all week long. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed. Now, these were just the regular people like you and me, just standard good old American people, if you will, so they were distressed and they were dispirited. They were confused like sheep without a shepherd. And he, then he, he turns to the disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest. And so Jesus in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus summoned the 12 disciples and he gave them authority. If you take notes, you need to take that word down. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And then he lists out the names of the apostles there. And then in verse five, it says the 12, the ones that he had just given the authority to, he sent them out and, he, and he, then he gave them instructions. Now, do not go in the way of the Gentiles or do not enter any city of Samaria. So he gives them a specific target right here, verse six. But rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, you preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Now let's jump down to verse 16 because then he tells them what to do as they enter those towns and it's not relevant for today's message. But he says in verse 16, he says, behold, look, that is, look, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so you be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And he says, you be wise about how you move through this world. But beware of men, that is, beware of that, those that are out there in verse 17. They will hand you over to the courts and they'll scourge you, that is, they'll beat you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So your persecution is never without a purpose. You understand that, right? Verse 19, and, and when they hand you over, don't worry about what or how or what you're going to say. It'll be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death and father will betray his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. So, so how, how did Jesus engage a, a hostile spiritual culture? How did Jesus do that? Well, I can tell you, Jesus never got angry. I, I do know that. Now, there were times Jesus picked a fight with the Pharisees. There were times that Jesus entered in and, and, and he, wasn't, he, didn't, he wasn't a back down kind of Messiah but he wasn't angry at people. In fact, it says in verse 36, he was literally, when it says felt compassion, let me tell you, the, the idea of that means he was broken down. He literally was hurt. He was hurt. He, he would get angry at the lies. He, he was certainly angry at religion. Jesus was angry at religion, empty religion that put heavy loads on people and they never could engage their God so Jesus, yeah, he was angry about people that took people away from the heart of the Father, an, an empty religion, he, but he never got angry at 
at the culture itself. And I want to say something to you, friend. When you look around this world right now, there's a lot to be angry about. It's really easy to get angry. It's pretty much why I don't watch the news anymore. No kidding. I just get mad. It never does anything for me. I just get mad a lot. And I just find, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I, I, I don't I don't handle well if I'm being transparent with you. But the world doesn't need, let me tell you something. The world doesn't need another angry Christian. The world doesn't need an angry Christian. But the world does need passionate Christians. The world does need people that are passionate about what's going on. And Jesus was passionate. So he, but he never got angry. I'll tell you something else we, we see from Jesus right here in chapter 10. We see that Jesus refused to be a spectator. You need to, t- you need to let that sink into your bones. Jesus was not going to be a spectator. It, he, he walked among it. He, he confronted this stuff, real life issues. He wasn't going to just sit back and, and watch it happen. You know, I had this thought this week, and, and I wrote it down. In verse 6, he says, he says but rather what? He says, go. He, he sent us into that kind of world. He sent us into that. He didn't tell us to sit and let everybody come to us. He didn't tell us to sit and just hope it gets better. He didn't tell us to just sit around hoping that one day maybe somebody will start desiring kingdom things like we do too. No, he didn't. He said, go into that world. That's the world we're sent into with a message of hope and redemption. So this week, the thought that I had, and I put it down so that I'd remember to say it the way it came to me, was this, that it's, it's hard to minister to the spiritually broken if you're only willing to walk among the spiritually healed. See, that's what happens so often. And I don't mean that to be an indictment. I'm just saying it's really hard to heal the sick if you don't go to a, where they are sick, right? I remember many, many, many years ago, when Third Day was first coming out, so for those of you that are, I um, can't believe I'm having to explain who Third Day is, but, but when Third Day first came out to all of you students, that was a huge band, and, and they took a lot of heat. They took a lot of negative press in the Christian world because they played at college frat parties all over the South. They were playing at college frat parties everywhere, and one day some reporter stuck a, a microphone in Mac Powell's face, and he said, hey, you know, a lot of the Christian churches, you know, kind of up in heaval because you're, you're, you're playing up in all these frat parties, and, then, and th- he said, well, we just decided when we formed a band, we wanted to share Jesus with people, so we figured if we were ever going to do that, we we're going to have to go where people that don't know Jesus hung out. That's a pretty good answer. If we're going to play in front of lost people, we got to find some. Frat parties are a great spot. How, how smart is that? They walk among it. Because Jesus wasn't going to be a spectator. Because you know why, you guys? The, the alternative is just unacceptable, isn't it? The alternative is unacceptable. When you, when you hear verse 36, chapter 9, what you see is the vulnerability of what's really going on. It says, seeing the people, looking out on the people, Jesus was heartbroken because they were distressed and they were dispirited. They were confused. They were confused. Think about the vulnerability in verse 36 right there. There's a lot of vulnerability. Those people were hurting. They were broken. And he wasn't just going to spectate over it. You know, the, the image that comes to my mind is, if I want you to think for a minute as 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 hard as it is to put this in your head, imagine you're going throughout your day and maybe you're walking through downtown Franklin or you're walking through downtown Nashville or you're going to lunch somewhere in Brentwood and, and you see a guy beating up on a 16-year-old girl. 
She, she can't defend herself. What are you going to do in that moment? She can't defend herself. Most people are going to pull out their phone. Sadly, not me. I'm not. The moment, the moment demands that you do something, right? The moment demands that you do something. That's what's happening in verse 36. They're broken, they're hurt, they're confused. Sheep without a shepherd get eaten, right? Sheep without a shepherd get eaten. So there's vulnerability here, and Jesus is like, I'm not going to spectate. I'm not going to spectate. When you look at, at how, the, how, how, how he's talking about going into the culture, he's telling us, don't fear it, engage it, engage it. You know, if you think about why that matters, it's because we're not, listen to me, we're not the lost sheep, amen? We're not confused. We're not without truth. Are you hearing me this morning? You're not without answers. You're not without redemption. And you're not powerless either. You're not powerless just to sit by and watch everything go down. You're not. You're, you're, you've been given. Jesus says he gave you authority we are not truth deprived, but I tell you what we're also not called to do, and many of you need to hear this this morning, we are not called to fear the world we live in. We are the answer to it, friends. We're the answer to it. In fact, there was three different times in chapter 10, and I put them all in one image for you, where Jesus said, do not fear them. Do not fear those who kill the body, so do not fear. You know why? Don't you love Jesus' ability to be proactive on where you're going to get hung up? When he tells you, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves, everybody else is changing church membership, right? Not going to do that. Jesus anticipates, oh, they're going to get scared in a hurry. They're going to get scared. So he says, don't fear those that can kill the body. If you read on down in verse 10, don't fear those that can kill the body. Fear, those that, fear, the, fear the one, the God that can kill the soul. Don't fear them. You know what, you guys? You got to die sometime. Let's die in the name of Jesus. I mean it. Because you know, the thing that I have, have come to realize in here is why would, why would Jesus tell us not to fear? Because he goes on in that passage to talk about how we're, we are not, if, if, we're, if we want to engage life, then we've got to give up our lives. You see, the only reason you're going to fear your life is that this life is all you're looking forward to. The only reason you're going to fear this life is if you're clinging to this life because this life is all you got. But when we live for another country, when we live for another kingdom, when our hearts have been set free for another place, it really doesn't matter what happens to me in the here and now. Now, I don't, listen, I'm not begging for bad things. I mean, come on, that's just kind of sick and twisted and in some ways just stupid, right? I'm not begging for bad things, but I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to live my life afraid of what's going to happen to me if I actually live out what Jesus tells me to do. Because this life, when I gave my life to Jesus in September of 1990, then that was the day that the old man went down in the grave and the new man came up. And I've been crucified in Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life I do live, Galatians 2.20 says, I live by what? Faith. Faith so we don't have to fear. 
We don't have to fear. But when you look at this thing, it's kind of overwhelming. Like, what, what in the world does all this mean to me, Jason? Like, in a normal, normal world, like, what, what is Jesus getting at here? Why is he telling me he's sending me out as sheep among wolves? I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh stuff. Well, when you look at the whole world, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So I thought this morning I would tell you what God is not doing. God is not calling you to reach the world. He's not calling me to reach the world. I mean, as in the whole world. There's people that died this morning, you don't even know their names. They died in countries you've never been to, in communities you've never seen, with families you don't even know. God's not calling to you to reach the whole world. That's not what he's getting at. You know what God is calling you to do? God is calling me to reach my everyday world. He is calling me to reach my everyday world. And sometimes that everyday world takes you into other countries. Sometimes that everyday world takes you into other places. But most of the time, that everyday world, that's where you live. So we do believe in reaching those that have come across our path. And sometimes your path carries you into international missions. Praise God. But sometimes, and most of the time, God is calling you right here, right now to be faithful in your school, faithful on your baseball team, faithful in the workspace, in the boardroom, to be faithful right where you're at. So how do we pare that down? How do, how do we pare it down? I, I've tried in my mind to put, put myself where you're at. And what does it look like? What does it look like if we were just to boil it down to my simple life going through every day right here in Middle Tennessee, what, what does it look like for me to live out what Jesus said about engaging a, a, a lost world that in verse 36 says they are like with sheep without a shepherd. So he's, he's asking for workers to go into that world. He even says for us to pray that the harvest is plentiful. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you know much about farmers, but their nightmare is that a crop is sitting in the field and everybody else is like watching Netflix right? In fact, that's incredibly poor stewardship of all the work that's been put in for that crop to sit there. Now, when it comes time to harvest, you work until that harvest is done. You go out on the Arkansas Prairie or the Mississippi Delta, and you'll see them running in lights in the middle of the night. When it's time to get it, you get it. So Jesus is saying the harvest is there. It's sitting there waiting, but the workers are few. So what does that mean for you and me today? What does it mean? I'll tell you, I'm gonna give you a couple of quick axioms. You ready? Hope you can write these down. One, I would say if someone is confused, then I testify about Christ, Christ's clarity. You know, we live in a world, you guys, right now, that I would say if I were to describe America, there were probably many adjectives that I could use. Some of them are really great. I mean, it's a phenomenal country. But if I were to describe our culture, I would call it confused. Confused. I, I walked into just a few days ago, I was, I was headed into a, uh, a bathroom and, and when I walked, there was a sign on the door of the men's bathroom and it had this long disclosure about gender. I know who I am. And listen, I'm not knocking, I'm not being hurtful, I'm not being mean. What I'm saying to you, you understand that we live in a world right now, right now, that is not only confused, we're promoting confusion. 
And I'm not just picking on LGBT community. I'm not, in fact, I'm not picking on anybody. What I'm saying is people are confused. They're supposed to be confused. You know why? They're sheep without a shepherd. But not you. Not you. You've got a shepherd. You know the truth giver. So when you encounter confusion, friend, your loving response, let me tell you, how much do you have to hate somebody to let them walk around with lies in their head? How much do you have to not love somebody? But you see, the further we go into a culture like this, people like me, people like you, we're going to be seen as people who are hateful, bigoted, mean, uneducated. But I'm going to stand by what Ravi Zacharias said, and I heard him when I was sitting in Dallas Stadium in 1997 at a Promise Keepers event. With 20,000 men, I've never forget, I can still see him say it. He, and this was 1997. He said, America is the test case that we, we can educate ourselves into stupidity. That's what he said. He said, we're now blaming crime on things like guns. It's like blaming forest fires on matches. This is what he said. Don't get mad at me. But I agree with it. We live in a world of confusion, so what do we have to offer? We have truth to offer. And I want to tell you something. The further we go into this culture, the more separated from it we're going to be. The more you offer truth, the more separated it's going to get. But I want to tell you something, friends. You owe it to people that are lost to tell them how to get home. If somebody was lost and you met them, physically lost, and you walked up to them and they said, I'm from Nashville, but I don't know where I'm at. In fact, that happened to me not too long ago. I, found, I, I ran up on this gentleman. He obviously had dementia. So me and a friend, we put him in a vehicle. We drove around some roads till we found his panic-stricken wife. Because he had gotten in his truck, and he drove, and he just ended up somewhere. Now, just how hateful would I be if I said, I sure do sympathize with your lostness. I sure do hate it. No, you offer clarity. And I had a vehicle. And we took him home. You see, that's what you have to give to this world. I'll tell you what else you can do to a lost and dying world without a shepherd. That if someone's hurting, you can testify about Christ's healing. This world is full of hurting people, you guys. It's full of hurting people. But we can't minister to the hurting if we stay in the steeple. We can't. We can't. It's one of the reasons we do things like Room in the Inn. You know, we get reports all the time with our homeless ministry here. The, the, the people that are, that are homeless tell us often that when we come here, you talk to us. You pray with us. You smile at us. You sit down and you eat beside us. He said it matters. When people are hurting, we can offer the healing of Jesus. When people are lonely, 
We can testify to Christ's acceptance. We live in a lonely world. That's never going to change. People are lonely. People are looking for this sense of a place to belong. Students, I would say to you, all of you that are in middle school, I would say this is probably one of the biggest platforms that you have. It's one of the biggest platforms that you have. It's to make sure that no kid eats lunch by themselves, ever. It's to make sure that you see somebody crying by a locker. You go say, hey, what's going on? You'd be stunned at how many people would engage you and they're hurting in the workspace, in the marketplace. How many people are hurting and they're, they're, they're painfully broken? You can testify about Jesus' willingness. You know, this is one of the things about Jesus that I think we often overlook. Crowds followed Jesus, but crowds never followed the religious people. Don't you find that interesting? Crowds never wanted to follow the Pharisees, but they flocked to see Jesus. Why? Even the religious people said, you eat with the undesirables. What's wrong with your master? They went to the apostles. That man eats with sinner people. It's a word a Kentucky preacher used one time that I always loved. (laughs) This man eats with sinner people. He walks with people that don't smell right. They don't talk right either. They have different values. And Jesus said, let me get to them. Don't you love that? I love it. When someone is oppressed, you can offer Christ's power. I want to tell you why this is such a big deal. I've based all four of those things, by the way, off of what Jesus said in verse 8. Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Those are the outcasts, the people that have no place of acceptance. Those are the people that are lonely, the dead, that is the spiritually dead. God can heal them. But then he said in verse 8, cast out demons. Now, this is the part Baptists hate, all right? Just going to say to you straight up, we hate this part because we really don't know what to do with those kind of situations. You know what? Neither do I because every one of them is different. But I want to tell you, something that's a little different about America than the rest of this world. In most of the worlds outside of this one, in most of the countries outside of America, people believe in the demonic. In America, most of the time, we just chalk it up to mental health. Mental health conditions, and mental health conditions are real. But Jesus didn't say, go heal those that are somewhat oppressed by schizophrenia. He said, cast out demons. The New Testament wasn't afraid of that. Jesus said, freely you received, freely you give. People have strongholds in their lives. People have things that are oppressing them in their lives. And if you've ever seen that up close, you know how real it really is. You know how real it really is because there is a devil and it doesn't matter if we don't want to talk about him or not. There is one. And he's playing for keeps, by the way. Look around. Look around. So what does that mean to us? What does that mean to us at Clearview Baptist Church today? What I would want to inject into you this morning is that you're not powerless. 
You're not. Christ in verse 1 gave you authority. And all throughout Jesus' teaching, he gives you authority and power. Friend, listen to me. He gives you authority and power to engage the world that's around you. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. We are called to go into this world, but I want to I put something in front of you this morning that I hope doesn't leave you, and it's simply this, that a declining church brings God no glory. A declining church brings God no glory. And all around the, our country, the church that with a capital C, the Christian church, it is failing, and that is, that is something that didn't, you didn't see it happen here. You didn't see a failing church in the book of Acts, we outnumber them with technology, money, vehicles, aero propulsion, flight, digital communications. We have infinite more gifts, infinite more strength, infinite more bandwidth, infinite more resources, and yet we can't even begin to keep up with what happened in the book of Acts. Why? Why? We are not without power. I think the Christian church chooses to not engage it. I think we choose not to engage it. So, so many of these theologians that I read today and many of you are reading, a lot of them debate whether the Holy Spirit has taken all his gifts out of the church or not. And I'm sitting here going, man, the, the enemy must love this. He must love it. That we would actually sit back and debate whether or not the Holy Spirit has given us the power that Jesus gave us, and all the while the enemy's ripping up families. All the while the enemy's ripping up confusing people, confusing little children. All the while the enemy's just like, you know, I think this is, I'm not gonna speak for him, I certainly wouldn't wanna do that, but in my mind, this is the way it goes. Just leave them alone. Just leave them alone. They're, just, they're doing a great job of impotence. Just leave them alone. They're even doubting the very, because if they ever discover, if they ever discover this thing called the violent rushing wind, watch it. If they ever discover the way maker, watch it. If they ever discover the power of holy God, but most churches, as Ronnie Floyd said a few weeks ago, he's spot on. Most people and most Christians are content to live this life without the power of God. And I am not. I am not. I am not. I am not. I'm not going to do it. If you don't think that we're failing, just look around, friends. What's missing What's missing? I'll tell you what, in the most simple way I can say it, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament church, the one thing they did not do, they never for a second doubted or questioned the authority that God gave them. They didn't doubt it, they used it. They picked it up, they picked up their weapons, and they went to work, man. They went to work for the Lord. We are called out. We're called to engage this culture. We're called to be set apart, to be saints. And I'm going to tell you, more than any other time in our nation's history, more than any other time in the history of Franklin, Tennessee, I'm serious, more than any other time in the history of Independence High School, more than any other time in the history 
a Freedom Intermediate School. And freedom, or what's that one called? We missed that one. We went to a different school. All of our schools, every neighborhood like Maplewood and West Haven and Brentwood and Ravenwood, every corporate center like the Pinnacle Building downtown, never in the history of our time in this world have we more needed truth talkers to walk up into those classrooms and walk up into those places with real answers for hurting people. And that's you, friend. It's you. You've got it. You've got what you need. What you've got to do is you've got to go do it. You've got to go do it. And I want to tell you, the more we do that, the more we're going to be seen as outcasts, the more we're going to be seen as people that are throwbacks. I have literally, more than once, especially in the last few years, been called a throwback. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I am. I plan on throwing it back all the way to the book of Acts. I do. I'm going to throw it back every chance I get. And I'm going to walk in that power. And I want you to walk in it too. Because this world, if we do nothing, well, that's just unacceptable, isn't it? If we do nothing, it is time for you dads. Listen to me. Listen to me, you men. Every one of you. Be a dad. Engage your family. Pick up the sword. Defend your home. The enemy's coming for your kids and he's coming for their minds. And he's going to confuse them if you let him. This is on your watch, man. It's on my watch too. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to my sons and the world they're growing up in. It scares me to death, but I'm not afraid of it because I've got the answers because Jesus gave them to me. Some of you women, it's time for you to pick up the mantle and engage your marriage he doesn't meet all my needs. So what? Find one that does. It doesn't exist. The Christian homes are being ripped apart in our communities. And I'm sick and hurting, of tired of watching my friends, your friends, get beat up on. I want something different. I want something different. And I think we can have it. I think we can have it if we want it if we thirst for it, if we put it before every other thing, but that's the difference. See, you're gonna have to have an appetite to engage God in a way you haven't engaged him before. And that's when awakening will come. But if we continue to do it like we're doing it right now, I don't mean it clear view, I mean just the Christian culture across America. If we continue to do it like we're doing it right now, well, you, you don't have to wait to see the results. Turn on the television, you're already seeing the results. So where is that going to leave you, friend? You are not powerless. Don't give your authority away. Don't give your power away. Jesus gave you the authority. Jesus gave you the power. You go into that culture and you engage it. And you engage it. Let me tell you, I don't care how much they yell back at you. I don't care how, for every, you know what's going to happen to you? For every one person that gives you pushback, there'll be 10 that won't. Watch. For every one person that tells you, stop it with that talk, there'll be five or six that say, can I go get lunch with you? Because you live by something I don't even understand. And I can, you're just way more at peace and joy and happy. Your life seems to make more sense and I'm nothing but confused. That's going to start happening to you. But the enemy's going to make you think all they're going to do is lock you up and put you in prison or fire you from your job. I'm here to tell you, friend, 
pick up your weapons. And if you do, let me tell you, you will see God pour himself out on your life. You will see God pour himself out on your life in ways you can't believe it because God's made a contract with you. And he made it with you in Second Chronicles when he said that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, see if I don't open the windows of heaven and heal their land. If we will get on our face and beg God for power, friends, he will send it. He will send it. And then this church, you'll see things that you've only dreamed of. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.